Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership. Yes, you are seeing me today, and I am with the beautiful Allison Graham, who is a colleague and a dear friend. And we're going to be talking heart-centered leadership today, coach to coach, speaker to speaker. We're going to have a little bit of fun. So normally don't do video. So I said to Allison, okay, let's do this. So we're just going to jump into our questions and we're going to unpack everything about Allison Graham, who she is, what she does, how she brings so much heart to all she does. Are you ready? I'm ready. That's a a whole half hour. We're going to unpack it all. We are going to unpack it all. So first leadership question, you know, it's so funny. I have watched you for years. You're a writer, you're a speaker, you're a coach. You are a create a course master, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I love when I think about you, I do think about the word resilience. So my leadership question is, how have you embraced resilience in your own life to really bring that to the forefront of all that you do, whether you're writing, speaking, creating a course, coaching, How did that lesson come for you or is it a repeated lesson and you just kind of coach yourself and go, okay, here we are in the Valley. I would love for you to share that with us. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there have been so many lessons because there have been so many challenges that I faced over the years, right? So everything from surgery that went wrong and then follow-up surgeries to like so many of us, we lost people who we love Mm -hmm. uh, to really having like the day-to-day struggle with technologies, (laughs) Like it feels like it for many, many years, my life was tested over and over and over again. And many times I think back to uh, what I call my decade of hell and which really inspired my passion for teaching resilience and problem solving is I like, I just wasn't willing to quit. Like I always knew there was this bigger purpose. There was this outside, like something good. And when you get stuck in the day to day and you lose sight of that, you know, it can really pull you back. Right. So I I think it was just over and over and over again, feeling, you know, I think my very, uh, one of my last books, I opened it up with like, when you feel like life is throwing the punches, right. And you're just standing there and you're like, I got this (laughs) throw away. I'm going to keep going. So that resilience, that perseverance is something I learned, uh, out of, out of like circumstance, I think in many ways, but the truth is we're all resilient. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's who we are as humans. Like if we weren't, we wouldn't be here. And so part of my philosophy is how do we take that instinctive resilience, the resilience that will keep us alive in times of danger and take that framework and go, okay, how do I apply that to my day to day? So I'm not getting stressed. Because I think people give way too much emotional and mental capacity to things that do not matter. And so like, just because, you know, something goes wrong doesn't mean it absolutely needs to be stressful. So that's part of my resilience message and the way I've chosen to live my life. And I process things very quickly. I do things very quickly. And that frees space to deal with the real stuff the grief. Yeah. I love that. I love it because when you're a speaker, a leader, a coach, we still have our moments of self-doubt, imposter syndrome. 
we just circle around it quicker, but we're still human beings. We still get those feelings. And I think that's kind of a misperception that I always love bringing to the show when I'm interviewing people because they, they see the leadership, they see the qualities you possess. But my favorite thing that I absolutely love anytime I see you doing a course or speaking is you always are willing to have the first laugh at yourself. And when you laugh, it makes me laugh. And I'm like, I love that. That's what I think about you. Cause you're like, yep, been there, done that. And you just have a big belly laugh and you just allow the logic to come. And you say to the emotion, see you later. Like I'm going to live right here. And I think when we can laugh at ourselves, it just allows us to transition. Cause you know what? Life is too short. It is. And you know what I love about what you said is that us as leader, like all leaders. So whether you're speaking, coaching, like you and I are, or you're leading a team, you're an executive, as I know many of your listeners are, we're not perfect. And the problem is, is for so long, I think leaders spent most of their life trying to put on airs, trying to show up as if they're some perfect specimen that they're not. And then the struggle between authenticity of who you are as a person and who you are showing yourself to be where there was such a gap. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, for a lot of years, there was a gap. I was behind the scenes, you know, I, well, there are many times, um, but I didn't have confidence. So, and I thought I had to, you know, show up in a certain way. And, you know, even, you know, when I was in my early or late twenties, early thirties, I had a very different approach to networking and showing up and, and doing that because I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And then when I finally was like, I got to bring the two worlds together. I need to not feel uh, and, uh, like, especially with the pain, because I would go to like, I had hundreds of doctor's appointments, right in and out of the hospital. And, you know, for about five years, I really struggled to drive myself to Toronto where many of my gigs were. And so like, I called my mom and was like, mom, come live with me, please help me drive me. You become my chauffeur. So I would literally have my mom and my dog drop me off at the front door of a convention center. I'd get out, put on the smile, put on the heels, rock the stage. And I would get in the car with a smile on my face. And I wouldn't even remember driving the two and a half hours back to London because I would collapse from pain and exhaustion. And like, I think the trying to hide that was as exhausting. Well, not maybe as exhausting as the pain, but definitely a part of it. And so when I uh, finally came out with my story of what was happening behind the scenes, what I found from other people was relief. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can be honest that I'm struggling. You know, I had a coaching client just a few weeks ago and it was our first call together. And within three minutes, she was crying and she's like, I can't take it anymore. Like when I'm working, I feel guilty because I'm not with my family. Mm -hmm. When I'm with my family, I feel guilty because I'm not working and I just can't get caught up. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. But the interesting thing is she will not admit it to any of her colleagues for fear of being seen as weak. And I'm like, oh no. So she's like, I feel seen for the first time in years. But that hiding, us not being perfect is exhausting. 
Well, it's an untangible reality. There is no perfection. Hence the name of the podcast. I love it. Nice segue into my next question. So question number two, everybody gets what imperfections do you bring to your heart centered leadership? (laughs) Which one do we get a long list? Uh, Okay, let's see which imperfection I think my ability to be so in the moment and not calculate what I'm saying can sometimes not be a great choice. Because I do believe done is better than perfect. And so that means it's imperfect what you're putting out. Like I, you know, I'll wait for your third question (laughs) or fourth question if you ask me about the new book. But like I literally decided to read it or write it. And seven days later, I had the manuscript done. And it's published, it's out there, it's ready for the world to see. And, you know, I know there are people who will take three years to write a book. And I'm like, no, I got to get this information into the hands of people. And so when you're a done is better than perfect person, you have to be willing to admit that or to accept that you might get a call and say, hey, did you notice (laughs) this may need to be tweaked and be okay, then resilient to be like, okay, great, we'll tweak it. And I'll put it up, you know? Well, and I I can attest to that because I did have to make the hard decision last year to cancel my self-care women's conference. And then you created a course on how to create an online course. And this is what I love about you. And you were like, I need to learn how to create a course. So I'm going to videotape myself learning how to create a course and turn it into a course and teach other people. And it was so relatable. It's, it's just like the conversation you had with your coaching client. So you were like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know everything about tech. I suck at tech. And it was probably one of the most grueling seven days of my life, but I did it. You did it. Done was better than perfect. The conference became online. And I just, I hope that message from this podcast episode with you will entice anyone to try and get it done. And like you said, you had information to get out there. So I'm going to go right into my next question. Oh, but hold on. I just want to back up for a second. Okay. Okay. Because I've actually built 10 courses. So I know how to build a course. It wasn't that I was learning how to build a course. What I love is that it looked like I was learning to build a course because every time you build a course, it's different. And what happened with that course, because it's not my specialty, was I had too many speakers calling me and asking me for advice. So that's why I built that course. Just so people don't think it was my first course, I have built many and sold them corporately. And that's why I had all that knowledge. And then you just learn the tech every time you go, right? Yes. So, yeah, yes. Fun course. Yes. So. so your book, Take yes. Back Your Weekends, mm-hmm. this is a two-part question. Okay, I love it. Did you need to figure out a strategy for you to take back your weekends so that you could write this book to offer that advice and the foundation was your own relatability? Interesting. Uh, Ironically, I wrote it and edited it on a weekend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) here's Here's the point though of take back your weekends is not that you never work a Saturday or Sunday again. It's so that we can release the stress when you are working, you get more output 
and you can choose when you want to work. Because for me, it's not about Saturday, Sunday doesn't matter to me because I'm my own bot, like I'm my own business. And I love to be able to be in flow and inspired. And if that means I get, you know, Saturday morning, I want to keep writing. And Wednesday, I want to take the day off. I'm all in. It's about giving people the choice. Here's how I created this content. When I had my surgery in 2007, March 5th, so this will come out five days after my anniversary, um, which I no longer recognize, but it's interesting, just the date, you know, March 5th, 2007, I woke up the next day in the hospital with what felt like a serrated edged knife stabbing into my pelvis. And little did I know that that would become my new companion for the rest of my life. Fast forward, you know, six people die in a few months, really important in my life, eight major injuries. I had to keep building my business through it because of the pain, because of the high, you know, pain medication that they had me on. I had to learn how to be productive, how to run my business in two to five hours of functionality a day. So I went from working 18 hour days and doing everything for everybody and never saying no and volunteering and having a post-it note that said deserve to hit the pillow as my guiding light to, oh my God, I can't move for two to five hours or like more than two to five hours, like sitting up, like, mo- like my books are written in a easy chair, like lying down, right? Like I used to be a columnist. I wrote every column in bed. Like I had to find strategies and tools and the big piece about take back your weekends and the whole concept is the difference between tasks and obstacles and adversities. And this is what I talk about when I'm in my speeches and I work with people in the coaching because the pain was an adversity and all the time I was trying to fix the adversity was time spent away from my healing. So then what I did is I said, okay, I can't like when the doctor told me to go on disability and he said, you're never going to work full time again, and you're never going to be off pain medication again. And it's time for you to reevaluate your expectations for your life. And I like through the tears, through the screaming, a bit of an ugly cry, (laughs) it was a bit much. Um, He, he said, well, I knew enough to know that there was a guiding light that I needed to do more. And the answer was not going on disability and giving up on my speaking career. And so he said, well, then you're going to have to be resilient. And it was just enough of a glimmer of hope of if I can master this resilience thing, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so I left. And so the first thing I did was I start, I put my business cap on my consulting hat and I was, went, let's deal with this pain stuff. If I can't take away the pain right now, by the way, now I'm working full-time, no pain medication, dealing with it all through strategies, which takes a lot of years. I wouldn't recommend people going off pain medication unless they can. But here's the thing. From the adversities came the obstacles. Mm -hmm. And obstacles, we have a medium to a high level of control. No control on adversity. But the obstacle example, I couldn't drive myself. The task, which we have a very high level of control over, was to call my mom and ask for help and get somebody to drive me. So we, we flip this and we invert it in our worlds, right? 
adversities are, you know, you know what it's like, right? Somebody's like gone through a divorce or they've had a cancer diagnosis or COVID, right? And you ask them, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You're not fine, but we minimize it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with obstacles, we have a tendency in society to dramatize them. Oh my God, you wouldn't believe what happened, right? And we can get teams, like I, I work with teams that like why one engineering firm I worked with, like, you know, when we started talking about this, you know, just because something goes wrong doesn't mean we need to emotionally react. All the elbows started, right? And the eyes and the laughing and the smirks. And as a trainer, you know what it's like, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of pick up on that and go, hey guys, what's going on? And it turned out anytime there was a problem on a client file, the whole office got involved. Mm-hmm. Everybody like got, you know, blaming and who did this and, and, they hadn't even called the client yet to say, okay, we're going to deal with it. So obstacles, we tend to dramatize and then tasks, we tend to glorify. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm so busy. And, you know, wearing that as a badge of honor. And so my philosophy would take back your weekends is tasks we do without any fanfare, like ripping away as much of the snow as we can. That's another analogy I'll tell you if you want but like really getting the crux of what do we need to get done and doing it as efficiently as possible obstacles we need to solve and that's where we got to take the emotion out we got to look at it and we've got to get to that solution as fast as we can to find the task so we can do the task as efficiently as we can Mm -hmm. and when we do that we actually free our time to heal from our adversities, Mm -hmm. to deal with the pain, to take time off, to enjoy our life. But how do you enjoy your life if you're so caught up in the tasks and you're so bogged down by the obstacles? So that's what takes back your weekend is all about. It's the model reminds me of, of when I case managed many, many people who were catastrophically injured and you can get to a daily activity of living with a mindset and set the goal to transition off the meds or at least have some autonomy or quality. So I know the valleys that you went through to get there. And really to me, the grit of that book is resilience. It is. It's beautiful. I look forward. I'm excited to read it. I I thank you for sending it to me and We're going to put uh, the link below in the uh, podcast episode description for you. And my last question is, let's you and I deflate the elephant in the coaching world, shall we? Okay, which one? Well, let's pick two because you brought up the word busy, which you know I have kicked to the curb and put out with the trash with sorry and just because we're not just sorry and we're not just busy. We don't use, you know, that's part of the self-care language that I talk about. Yes. I want to talk about, my question is, how can we, because you and I do this so beautifully, how can we further augment our relationships with other coaches to show open-mindedness in that there really isn't enough of us in the world 
for the need that's out there, especially with COVID. Like when you tell me you're over here in your wheelhouse doing resiliency in the work you're doing, I'm like, thank God, because I'm over here. I'm disrupting habits of thinking. Can we both work in the same camp with the same population? 100%. How can, how can we put a dent in this and make it better? Okay. So I believe it's all about collaboration over competition. Absolutely. So the thing is not everybody's willing to buy into that and that's okay because I don't surround myself with people who want to compete with me. I want to surround myself with people who will lift me up just as I will lift them up, which is why I think you and I connect so well, because we really truly believe that. Mm -hmm. And we've had the experiences of where people are trying to tear us down. And it's just, there's no place for it in this world right now. People need help. But the reality is there are people who are struggling, who are stressed, who, you know, who need the work I have to do, just as there are people who are stuck in their patterns and their habits and desperately need the work you do because it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I've been part, I've been through it, right? Like I know how brilliant it is. And I know what my faults are, right? Which is why and it just puts it so clear on paper, right? And then your ability to work through people, like I want to celebrate that. You know, I like finding the, the people who are good, right? Like good, solid human beings who have a purpose and a desire to help other people and a talent to do it. Oh my gosh, like we got to pull them around. Uh, one of the places I found to be quite inclusive and has connected me with people who I never would have, I don't think had a chance to connect with is on clubhouse, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're talking about how do we raise the brilliant minds of women without deflating the brilliant minds of men, Mm -hmm. right? Because it is, it's, it's, um, you know, bringing genders, bringing diversity, bringing diversity of thought together and, celebrating each other Mm -hmm. and promoting each other. Like, you know, even in the speaking industry, sometimes I'll go in for a keynote. Well, you're not going to have me back necessarily for the next year, although some do, which I'm really grateful for. Um, But well, who's my colleague who could fill in a gap and have a slightly different perspective on a new topic, right? That, that just makes everybody stronger. High tide raises all ships. Well, the other thing I like is if I'm asked to do coaching that I don't have in my wheelhouse, do I have the ability? Yes. Is it what I want to do? No. I have an arsenal full of coaches that I like to refer out to. And that's that collaboration. And what you give out always comes back tenfold. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little while. Well, it takes a little while. And you know what? At the end of the day, you just want to keep the sales funnel full. You don't need to have 50 people qualified every month. You just need a couple. Yeah. And I think, I think it's the monstrosity and the fear of missing out and that obligation that sits here for social media. And every once in a while, I take my weekends back. Good. Because I'm like you when I, I mean, 31 years for me in May, I get when you say when I'm in flow, when you get a Saturday or Sunday, and and there's not going to be interruption, and you get in that flow. It's a fun place. You're in your pajamas, you're not going to be talking to anybody. 
done is better than perfect. Best thing that I learned from your course. And it's like the podcast. It's never going to be perfect. And I can't even tell you how much I love it. So let's just have a virtual high five right there. High five right into the camera. Love it. Okay. I'm going to move into my fab four, four fun questions about Allison, whatever's on the top of your mind. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. First question. (laughs) Tell us something that we don't know about Allison Graham. Oh, I was in a platinum blonde rock video when I was like 18 and I'm the cover on the YouTube video. And it's like, so like, you know, not high definition. Uh, yeah. Anyway, platinum blonde, if you remember that. Oh, I'm going to have to go check. I do. <laughs> I know, I love it, it. it just comes to my mind because, uh, yeah, it's a, a fun thing. Anyway. Second question, share with us an aspiration that's on your heart for 2021. <sighs> I want to touch a million lives. I love that. I said it to uh, someone who is really great, like helping me with my marketing. And he's like, you need to up your game and say a billion. My heart's not quite there yet. That's that's a 10-year goal right now, a million. How can I get this word out there? Because there's so many people who are stressed. And I believe I have a framework that can help them release that. You do. Good for you. I love that. Question three, share with us something that's in your toolkit to be that ever humble, evolving Alison Graham. Imperfection. That'll bring you the humility at any moment. (laughs) Just when you think you're getting a little too big for your britches, you know, something happens that will remind you that, it, and you know what, I, I'm teasing a bit about that, but I think that it's having the compassion for the heart that's in front of you and what we don't know what their story is. No. We don't know how, you know, they're struggling to keep up or, you know, if they're losing someone or they're afraid that they've just got some blood work back that indicates something they don't know. We don't know. And so I, every time I speak, I remind myself of the hearts who are listening and I have no idea what they're experiencing in their life. And I just am like, okay, let's anything I can give them that can help them just even 10% have a better day tomorrow or today is that's what drives that drives me. So when you come from that place, I think it keeps you centered. Not that like when I get really a big deal or something, I'm like, Oh my God, big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm really excited. And then I'm like, oh, do they have the right person? You know, because that's the imposter syndrome that comes up, right? And you know, even that recently happened to me. And I, you know, I had to remind myself, you know what, Allison, you've been working hard. Like you've like it's taken you've been a speaker for 14 and a half years. And to get picked up by some of these incredible organizations and companies, like that's exactly the plan. I can't question it. I just more people. And you can pull out that post-it note and say, you deserve to hit the pillow. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I did get rid of that because I felt it was, uh, it was driving me to judgment. It was driving me to not allow the times when I needed the downtime. Mm-hmm. And so I had no lo- I have it in a, uh, a keepsake box because it reminds me so much of where you've come from. I love where it. I come from, love but it. now I embrace the down as much as the up. Yeah. So last question, 
what message would you give to any leader or upcoming leader that's listening for where you see leadership going this year and beyond? What's coming to my mind is maybe not the right answer to the question, but we're going to go with it. Uh, Emotionally detach from the things that need to get done so that you can open yourself up to the real issues that need to be dealt with, solved or healed. And I think that we get so bogged down, especially when I'm talking with leaders about how they're trying to help their team. What happens in the the behind the scenes conversation is often, I don't know what to do for them. And so we try to problem solve from the perspective of solution, right? Solution first thinking is not necessarily the answer. So, oh, you're not getting your stuff done here. Like there's no task management system that is going to help somebody deal emotionally with what's happening with COVID dealing with loneliness, we're going to have to open ourselves up to the harder conversations and getting deeper. Absolutely. No. Yeah. So that sort of opens up a can of worms, probably another half hour podcast, but I think that's being open. Don't focus on the solving, focus on the healing. And I normally pick a quote to end a podcast, but I know that you've been speaking for a long time. So I'm going to let you close out the podcast with your favorite quote and tell us why. People will never forget what you do. They will forget, they, they will forget what you did. They will never forget how you made them feel. And I think based on my answers to this conversation, probably obvious why I believe in that so much. I love it. That's one of my favorites too. And it's imperfect and it's heart centered. It is. Allison Graham, you are a delight. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for challenging me, collaborating with me, believing in me, and know that that comes back to you a hundredfold. Thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. This is going global. Like you are changing the lives of people. I think we're episode number 80 for you. Like this is episode 80. You know, you're saying this and I'm getting goosebumps. I'm like you. I... I'm not attached to the outcome. I want to touch many. The message comes from my heart. My guest's message comes from their heart. And I think the world just needs more love right now. And we can have that love through leadership, being heart-centered, really demonstrating heart-centered leadership qualities. And it's one meaningful conversation at a time. And thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you. So if you like us, give us a rating, give us a review, and we're going to post below everything that you can get in touch with Allison on her socials, her website, and her new book, Taking Back Your Weekends. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me and Allison today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And we are...